Amen. Remain standing, if you would, and take your Bible, if you have it, and turn with me to the book of Philippians, chapter number 1. Philippians chapter 1. <clears throat> Last week, uh, we looked at Paul's statement that the things that had happened unto him had fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. And we concluded the message with verse 21 of Philippians where he speaks of life and death. And he says in verse 21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But he continues that thought today as we continue reading. Let's read verses 21 through 27 this morning as it says here, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. I want to preach to you this morning on the subject, a Christian perspective on life and death. A Christian perspective on life and death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word that is the foundation of truth. Lord, we, we want to thank you so much that you have given to us your truth contained on the pages of Holy Scripture. And I pray that today you would help us to see your truth and that you would speak to us and work in our lives. I want to pray specifically today for those who sit among us this morning without the hope of eternal life and ask that you would work in their heart to show them their need for genuine salvation through Jesus Christ. And may they be saved today. And then, Father, I want to pray also for those of us who are saved, who are your children. We have that confidence, but Lord, so often we get distracted by the things of this world and maybe lose perspective on life and even death. Help us today to see through your eyes and through the words of your word that lies before us and speak to us, Lord. Encourage us, help us, challenge us, convict where necessary. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Have you ever put two good options before a child? Maybe it looked like this. Do you want chocolate cake or do you want ice cream? Have you ever done that and watched the, the kid's head just about explode? Trying to decide... What do I want? 
Now, when you become an adult, you learn, I don't want cake or ice cream. I want cake and ice cream, right? <laughs> we, we, we want both options. We don't want to have to decide because some, some decisions are hard to make. Sometimes we're deciding between two really good options, but we know that to say yes to one means to say no to the other, and that can be difficult. Sometimes the opposite is our problem, and we have to make a decision where there really is no good option. And we find ourselves paralyzed by this, I'm just not sure what to do. This is kind of Paul's heart in this passage of Scripture. As he's talking about the, his current situation, where he finds himself a prisoner, a political prisoner in many ways, and with a ministry, a calling that God has placed on his life. People who love him, respect him, look up to him. People whose well-being in many ways depends on Paul. And, and, and he is their leader. He's one that they look to for guidance and direction. And he recognizes that God has put him on earth for a purpose. And yet he finds himself in a situation that he's not exactly enjoying. And on the other hand, there stands before him the potential of going home to heaven to be with the Lord, which is a far better situation than he finds himself in. But to go home and to be in heaven with the Lord means that his ministry on earth comes to an end, and those who depend on him are left without him. And so he makes this statement in verse number uh, 20, excuse me, verse number 23 says, For I am in a strait betwixt two. I, I find myself between two difficult decisions, and I'm just not sure what I ought to do. He says, I, I, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ. Verse 24, Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. I want to just take a moment here, or a few moments, and look at what Paul is actually saying here in this passage of Scripture. Verse 23 speaks of his desire. He says, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Paul is kind of laying all the cards out on the table here and saying, if I'm real honest with you, I have to admit that if I had my way, if it was my choice, if it was just about me and what I wanted, this choice would be a no-brainer. Because I, my desire is to leave this life and to go home to be with the Lord. We sang several songs today that at least reference the concept of going home to be in heaven with the Lord and, and, and the hope of eternal life that we have in Him. And truly, this should be the desire of every Christian. Knowing that what awaits us on the other side of this life is far better than anything that this world has to offer. We can, you, you look at the, the best things of this life, and all of them are tainted in some way or another. Think of it. The most luxurious lifestyle that you could ever live will never satisfy. You could have all of the, 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 the money and all the material possessions in the world, 
and it would leave you empty. Now that may seem strange to us because we've never experienced that, but I want you to look at the world's wealthiest people. Look at the celebrities in the world. People who in many ways you would say they have everything that their heart could ever desire. They can have, if they want a new car, the the most expensive car, they just go out and buy it. If they want to go and and buy a new mansion, they just do that. If they want to go take a vacation to some exotic place in the world, they just get on a private jet and fly there and go there and whatever. They've got everything their heart desires. Except, those are the people that have the highest addiction rates and suicide rates in our nation. Why is that? Because they have found that those things don't satisfy. Then you could say, well, okay, money doesn't, isn't everything, and money doesn't satisfy, but, you know, relationships. I mean, really, I'm satisfied to have my family, and I'm satisfied to have my husband or my wife, who I love and enjoy life together. And I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer this morning, but let's just be real honest. Even the best relationships in this life are imperfect. And one of the greatest imperfections is that all earthly relationships come to an end. At the end of the day, we all say goodbye. And so you you can look at everything that this world has and say, it looks so good, it's so desirable, but it's all tainted. Because we live in a sin-cursed, fallen world, and the very best that this world has to offer is still lacking in comparison to that which God offers us. What does God offer us? Well, eternal life. A life that will never end. Eternal peace in the presence of God. Oh, by the way, while we're here on this this earth, an abiding peace that comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us and with us. God has given to us so many things that the world never could. And yet, how often do we find ourselves focused on the things of this world? We, we find ourselves spending so much time going after money, possessions, financial freedom, relationships, entertainment, sports, Whatever it is, a career, a name, a reputation, we consider all of these things and we, we pour our lives into them. And so often we're just so bound to these things that the thought of this life coming to an end is absolutely devastating. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not under the illusion here today that any of us wants to die. But why is it that we think that the worst thing that could happen to us would be to die and leave this life? Is it possible that our focus is so consumed with the things of this world that we really believe that happiness and joy and contentment is found here on this earth. The Bible says in 1 John 2, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
In other words, it's not possible to be in pursuit of God and loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind and still be so attached to the things of this world. It's not possible. Jesus said you cannot serve God and mammon. Someone said it this way. This isn't original to me, but someone said when the rapture happens, a lot of Christians are going to go feet first because they're so busy clinging to this world. You think about that. How much do we pour ourselves into this life in an attempt to avoid the next? Paul said, I'm, I'd rather go be with the Lord. If, if I had my way, my desire is to go and to be with Him. Uh, by the way, I want to just mention, I think it's worth mentioning He says in verse 21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Look at verse 22. He says, But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. So Paul is differentiating between living and dying, but he has to make it clear, not dying is simply living in the flesh. Because to the Christian, to die is actually not to die. Did you know that when I die, when this body gives out, when my heart stops beating... I will not die. I'm not going to die. I will never Jesus said I will never perish. I will not die. My location will change. I'll no longer be living in the flesh, I'll be living in his presence. But that's not death. That's life. That's eternal life. This is a good thing. And so Paul is differentiating. He said, if I live in the flesh, I'm talking about still living here, because even if I die here, I'm still living. In fact, that's, living, that's better living than I've ever lived. But if I live in the flesh, this is the reward of my labor. I want to just hold, hold your place here in Philippians, if you would. But go back just a little ways to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you will. 2 Corinthians 5. I want to show you Paul's perspective on death. As a believer in Christ, as someone who knows that your sin has been forgiven, you have been saved, you've been born again, you have eternal life. Notice what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 1. He says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, What's he talking about? This body. He, he calls it an earthly house, a tabernacle, or a tent. Now, now think about this for a moment. A tent is not a place that you live permanently, hopefully. <laughs> right? I might go camping with my boys and go spend a few days out in the woods, but that's not a permanent dwelling place. That tent is going to perish. And he's, that's how he's referring to our physical body. He says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle is, were dissolved, we have a building of God and a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we, are, for we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up 
of life. What is he saying here? Don't think I'm crazy for being ready to die. It's not that I'm looking forward to dying. I'm not looking forward to putting off this tabernacle, putting off this body. That would be crazy. What I'm actually looking forward to is living forever in the presence of God in a permanent dwelling place. And he says that he describes this as a groaning, earnestly desiring. Notice verse number uh, 6. He says, therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. (laughs) What's he saying? Listen, as long as I'm alive here, I'm absent from there. We had four of our kids at camp this week, and all of them had a good time. But a couple of them expressed to us, we were ready for camp to be over, because even though it was fun and we had a good time, we missed you. To be there was not to be home, and we were ready to come home. And they've mentioned even just since being home, how they've slept better at night, because they're home in their own bed, and everything is right with the world, and we feel that way. You know, having all the kids in our house at night when we go to bed, it just feels right. It feels better. This is the way it ought to be. All is right with the world because they're home. And Paul is saying, listen, I've got a ministry. I have a purpose. God has given me. I'm living this life with joy, but I'm absent from the Lord. I'm not in His presence. And I'm ready for the day. Not not looking forward to the day that I die, but I'm looking for the day that life begins with Him in His presence. I'm ready to put off this tabernacle and take on a heavenly home that will be permanent and eternal. One other place I'd like you to turn with me on that, Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 and... There's a statement made here about this desire that we have or ought to have. And this isn't just the believers. Honestly, it is everyone in the world has some degree of groaning. Look at verse number 18 of Romans 8. He says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature, that's the creation, was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. What's he saying? He's saying all, all of creation is groaning. We have loved ones among us this morning 
that are either grieving the recent loss, loss of a loved one or are in the process of saying goodbye to someone that is dear to them. And you know what that causes you to do? It causes you to groan within yourself. It's painful. It's awful. It's a reminder. This life doesn't have everything. There are people in this room this morning that are dealing with debilitating health issues that you face every moment of every day. Your body is not what it used to be. It's not what it should be. You're in pain. You have weakness. And you groan. At the end of the week, this last week, of course, we've got a lot of friends in Fargo, North Dakota. There was a traffic accident, fender bender, Friday afternoon in Fargo. First responders on the scene, firemen and police showed up. And someone got out of a car and started shooting and hit three police officers and a bystander. And one of those police officers was killed. Three months he's been on the police force. He's still in training, 23 years old, veteran, was killed. Two are still in critical condition. And you know what? There is a police force and several families and an entire city that is groaning today. We hear of mass shootings. We hear of disease. We hear of wars. And honestly, folks, how can we look at this life and not say, we're ready for this corruption to be over. It's not just us. All of creation groans and travails together. But th this, this emptiness, this, this pain that we feel ought to cause us to look up and understand that there is hope. There's hope. Listen, the hope is not that the corruption comes to an end. The hope is this. We know that there is, there is life on the other side of this. That there, there is any, a, a, a place in the presence of the Lord where there will be no more sickness and no more sorrow and no more death. And forever and ever and ever we get to be in the presence of our Lord and Savior, the Lamb who was slain for us, and we get to worship around His throne for all of eternity. We don't just groan that we, that we would put off this life. We groan that we might experience the adoption, the redemption that we are awaiting and have been awaiting for all this time. And Paul is saying, listen, if I had my choice, if I had my way, that's where I'd be. I, I want to go home and be with the Lord. Christian friend, can I ask you, aren't you ready? Aren't you ready to go home? Aren't you ready to be done with this life? If not, maybe there's something wrong in, 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 in our perspective, in the way that we look at things. Now, you might look at that and say, wow, I mean, you almost sound suicidal, you know? You sound like you're ready to, to be done with this. I'm not. And Paul wasn't. Let's go back to Philippians 1. Look what he says here. He doesn't say, because of all of these things, I'm calling it quits. I'm giving up. He does not say that. He actually says, I'm in a straight betwixt two, verse 23. I, I don't know what to do. 
I mean, if God gave me a choice today, I don't even know what I would choose because as much as I desire to go home and to be with the Lord, verse 24, he says, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Even though I know that this life, this world has nothing to offer, nothing that I am interested in. And even though I know there is something so much better waiting for me, as long as God has me here, I have a purpose. Listen, friend, wherever you are in life, no matter what your situation is, if God has given you breath, you have a purpose. There is something that He has for you to do in this life. That's why He hasn't called you home yet. And Paul is saying, listen, even though I desire to go home and be with the Lord, here's what I know, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. It's more necessary for the brethren that I stay and live and serve God and do what He's called me to do. This is more important than what I want. If it were just about me, I would have been in heaven a long time ago, but it's not just about me. It's about the purpose for which God has called me. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Notice again, he said in verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, his perspective was this, as long as I live, I want to labor to bring glory to God. Now, when we get to heaven, we will have the privilege of worshiping God for all of eternity. But your opportunity to serve God with the life that He's given you comes to an end at the moment of your death. In other words, to say yes to one thing is to say no to another. And your opportunity to glorify God in your body that He has given you only lasts as long as you live. And so what Paul is saying here is, I I want to continue living that Christ might be glorified in me and that you, the brethren, these Philippian Christians, would benefit from his life. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Verse 25, and having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance of joy and faith. I am willing, even though it's a no-brainer for me which one is better for me, I'm willing to continue to live on this earth, in this flesh, for you. Because it's good for you. Now, I already said that God has a purpose for you. But I want to ask you this. Are you fulfilling that purpose? Are others better off because you're here? That's a challenging question, isn't it? Are the brethren strengthened by your presence? Are other believers in Christ growing in grace because of your influence on them? That's what God wants for you. You read in Romans chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and it talks about these spiritual gifts that God has given to each one of us to profit, to benefit the body. 
Now, here's what, what sometimes happens. Someone will live their entire life for the things of this world, not really fulfilling the purposes of God. Oh, maybe they're saved. Maybe they're in church. Maybe they're doing a few things, but they're not actually, their focus is on the things of the world. And then what happens is they go through this process of detachment. I believe the aging process where your body breaks down, most, most people over 70 will tell you that their body hurts more than it used to. And the older you get, the more that that happens, right? I believe that that is a process that God has put in our lives to cause us to be detached from the world little by little, to prepare us to go home. And so, they'll live their life for the things of the world primarily until life just gets too hard and pretty soon just living is difficult. And then because they're saved, they say, boy, I'm ready to go home. And then they often sit and wait. You know, like, I'm going to sit down in this chair until you call me home, Lord. Here's the thing. God's given you purpose. I know you may not be able to do what you used to do, but you can do something. For the glory of God, you can do something. He's given you a purpose to benefit others by your life. Paul says, I'd rather go home, be with the Lord, but it's more needful for you that I continue to live. And he even says in verse 26 that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Here's essentially what he's saying. I know that you've been praying that I would be released from prison so that I can come and be in your presence. And while I would rather just go home and be with Jesus, I would also like for you to see that prayer answered and to be able to rejoice in answered prayer. And so just so that you can be encouraged that God is hearing and answering your prayer, I am okay with God letting, letting me live and letting me go free so that, I, so that your rejoicing can be, be more abundant in Jesus Christ, so that you will just thank and praise God for answering your prayers. Now, that is a pretty selfless thing, isn't it? I mean, th- think about this. Think about laying on your deathbed, ready to go home to be with the Lord, and you've got someone who's praying for you that you would be healed, and you're thinking in yourself, no, just let me go home. Just let me go home. <sighs> okay, Lord, I guess answer their prayer so they can, it builds their faith and they can rejoice, but man, I just want to go home. That's kind of what he's saying here. I I just want to go home, but I know it's more needful for you. And I'm willing. I'm willing to stay so that my life can count for the glory of God and for your benefit. Lastly, verse 27, he gives them a direction. And he says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Here's what he's saying. Basically, if, if I'm going to give up the opportunity to go to heaven and be with the Lord, I have an expectation for you. (laughs) You better not just be complacent, apathetic Christians. If I'm going to do this for you, you need to commit to giving your life in the service of the Lord. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel. You see, a spiritual leader is encouraged by seeing others 
follow Christ in obedience. And this is what he's saying. I, I will be encouraged to continue fulfilling the ministry that God has given me if you will make your life about the gospel. Notice in verse 2 of chapter 2, he says, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. In other words, if I'm going to stay to bring joy and help to you, can you bring joy to me? Can you encourage me by being what God wants you to be? Notice also that the measure of their success was not found in any results. He didn't say, hey, if I come and see you, I want, I want the church to be this size. I want to see these things. Here's, here's what he says. Only let your conversation, your lifestyle, your conduct be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast with one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And basically what he's saying is this, if you'll do this, if you will be unified in your cause to proclaim the gospel, I will count that as a success. I will count that as victory, not based on results, but based on your conviction and commitment to the Lord. John said it this way, he said, I have no greater joy than to see that my children walk in truth. That's the joy that he's asking for. You, you bring joy to me, or, or I can bring joy to you by continuing to live and try and help you, help you to grow, encourage you, challenge you, but you'll bring joy to me if you'll take what, what you've been given and you'll live for the glory of God. Got a few questions for you this morning as we conclude the message. First of all, are you ready to meet the Lord? Do you know that when this life comes to an end for you, that you will step out of this body and into the presence of the Lord? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord for a believer. But the Bible says it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. If you have never received Christ as your Savior, friend, you are not ready to die. You are not ready to leave this life and to enter eternity. Are you ready to meet the Lord? Are you, Christian, ready to say goodbye to the things of this life? If tomorrow everything was taken from you, that you hold dear, are you willing to say, you know what, I'm just, it doesn't matter. Because this life really doesn't have anything to offer. I'm living for the glory of God and I'm ready at any moment to go and be with Him. Are you living every day for the glory of God and for the benefit of others? Are you committed to the furtherance of the gospel? Is your lifestyle, is your conduct all about the purpose that God has given to you?